0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: The Manage Smarter Show is brought to you by SalesCred, the app that helps salespeople discover why they miss quota and what to do about it. Find out more at SalesCred.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast.
2: Lee, we are really lucky to have somebody who not only speaks our language in terms of sales and success and language and messaging and all the things that we talk about, but somebody who actually sold insurance and has lived the life of a sales professional.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, that's become increasingly more important to me for salespeople is the ability to tell a good story, and it's not just for salespeople. It's the Mad Smarter podcast. So, you know, as your manager, you need to be able to tell good stories during your coaching sessions. As you're an executive, you need to be tell, able to tell good stories in the boardroom. Then, uh, to be able to get your point across and to sell your ideas. So, all of those things basically come from the idea of storytelling, which is really something that you know my ancestors, for example, have been doing for you know centuries. So, uh, but the th- thing is, is that so much of the technology that we have today has really gotten in the way of that. And so we're gonna discuss some of that today.
2: Yeah, we are very lucky to have storytelling as per- expert with us. So welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. I'm Audrey Strong. I'm the Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel.
1: And I'm C. Lee Smith, the CEO and founder of SalesFuel.
2: We are very privileged to have David Saltzman at our microphones today. He is the principal at the Saltzman Group and a 20-year nationally published monthly columnist, an accomplished stage and keynote speaker, and a seasoned marketer. That's for darn sure. For the past 15 years, David has focused on helping others create story-based marketing that cuts through the noise, just like you were talking about, Lee, in the marketplace and creates the first step toward enduring meaningful relationships in business as a certified story brand guide, he's going to explain what that is. David and his team employ the framework to structure and focus the story their clients to use to win business and attract customers. And David, um, I know you said you used to do sales and insurance. You know this space very well. What's the number one mistake we make in our messaging in making it more effective?
0: We tell people how the sausage is made instead of just serving them really tasty sausage.
1: Okay. Yeah, so like the say- sausage is made? Yeah, what what you're saying is is that we 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 talk
0: too much. We always talk too much. You know, I, I try to tell salespeople when I'm coaching them that that silent and listen have the same letters in them, but it, it's very hard. And um, you know, I it, I had a young fellow. I won't give away how many years I've been in the business, but it's been a lot. And I had a young fellow I was coaching a couple of weeks ago. Say I was, said you're you're way too dependent on PowerPoint. You need to just be able to tell a story and ask questions and listen. And he said, well, when you started selling, how many PowerPoint slides were in your deck? And I said, oh, my dear, before I started selling, when I started selling,
1: PowerPoint. (laughs)
0: PowerPoint wasn't around, personal computers weren't around. He said, oh, my God, what did you use? And that's the problem today. The problem today is that salespeople, by and large, show up and throw up. And what most executives want is a conversation. But that conversation has to be structured properly. In other words, the story needs to be structured properly if you want to connect with your prospect and also the, with your clients.
1: Let's just dive right in, then. What, what is the ideal structure for telling a good story?
0: Well, you know, Story Brand, which is a book that was written by Don Miller, um, uh, and you nicely mentioned that I'm a certified guide, um, is a great book and it talks about story theory. Now, if you go back 38,000 years ago, we were doing paintings on caves in Chauvre, France. And, you know, one might argue that we had icons then and we have emojis now, so we really haven't advanced too much. <laughs> yeah. But the stories are still the key. The storyteller, as Steve Jobs said, is the most important person. So the story theory is really simple. And I'm afraid that I'm going, by giving it away, I'm going to ruin every novel you're going to read from now on, every movie you're going to watch, because you're going to instantly be able to determine what the plot is and where it's going. And it's really a very simple strategy that's quite complicated to implement. It is as follows. A hero or a client or a main character, whichever you prefer, has a problem. They express that problem in three different ways. And this is key to being able to tell the story. We'll get into the neuropsychology of this if you want a little bit later. Mm -hmm. But they have an external need, what they talk to their friends about, They have an internal need, what they say in their head, and then they have a philosophical need, and that's the bigger-picture need. Now, what they're looking for is a guide, and the guide needs to do two things. The guide needs to show empathy and authority. I've been here before, I've helped other people before, and I know how to help you as well. The guide gives them a very simple plan, and this is to your original question where a lot of presentations fall down. The plan should be three, four, no more than five steps. And the other place that most of these sales pitches fall down is a call to action. If you're writing, it's a primary call to action and a secondary call to action. You might say, yes, I want to go on a date, or no, I want to learn more. But those both need to be there. And then the storyteller paints the picture of what the future will look like if the main character follows their their story and also says, here's what it's going to look like if you don't do this. So many
1: salespeople don't talk about consequences. We only talk about benefits,
0: right? And and consequences are why you got a seat in the room at the first place. If the prospect didn't have a problem, you wouldn't be sitting there. They wouldn't be taking their time to engage with you. Now, the mistake that a lot of folks in sales make is that when they go into the meeting, they position themselves as the main character. And especially if you're speaking, as you know, Lee, and you know, Audrey, if you're speaking to a C-suite person, they are the main character in their story, and it will always be thus.
1: Because They and have big so egos.
0: They they do have big egos, but they earn the right to be in the big chair and make the big decisions. So you need to position yourself as the salesperson very carefully as the guide. You need to be Yoda, not Luke Skywalker. And that's the basic it. framework of it.
2: Is there a, a time frame I know and uh, I come over to marketing from the PR side of marketing, sales and marketing. Um not as a blanket rule for every situation, every client, but how far out in the call to action and the plan that you give them, the steps should you go? Um within six months, we need to do these things. How far out should you lead them with what you're proposing?
0: Timeline? One of my one of the things that I've learned, and I learned it the hard way, is to not give time frames because every at least oh, don't okay. give them up okay. front and that is because every client is different and every client mm-hmm. takes a different amount of time to get from point A to point B. So when you give them the plan, you can talk about a time frame, but it depends on what the problem is, how much resource the prospect wants to throw at the problem. If somebody wanted to meet with me, if I, if I were revamping somebody's plan, and um, no matter what it was that I was selling, and they were willing to meet with me five days a week for eight hours, we might be able to do something in a week. But of course, that rarely happens. So you have to work that through with the client. that that's a deliverable piece. that's not a story piece.
1: okay. So let's just shift gears a little bit from sales to marketing. Uh, so many the big challenge in marketing seems to be that you know we have to we have two audiences. We have our prospects and our, and our clients, we have humans, and we have Google. And the challenge is is like how do we tell a good story? on a website, for example, but yet be able to stuff in five of a certain keyword then so when people search for it, that we show up.
0: Well, you know, it, it's it's not so much the keyword searches where people get buried, although that is important. The place where people get buried is in the above the fold portion of the website, the piece you see on your screen when you first log in. How many times have you looked at a, a, a website and thought, wow, that's a really beautiful website. I wonder what the heck they do. <laughs> That's, that's the death. That's what kills people. So what you want to do above the fold is you want to do two things. You want to have a bold, clear, concise statement that says, I understand what your problem is. Are you suffering from this? Are you having a problem with that? And then the only three things that they see in addition to that headline and whatever artwork you want, which is really superfluous. The only other three things they see are a value stack that says, one, we know this problem, two, we know that problem, three, we know that problem. Because what we want, and, you know, uh, Hootsuite, I think it was, just told, uh, just decided that it was 15 seconds that you have, used to be 17 in the last Forrester research.
1: You mentioned it was
0: Forrester said 13 seconds on another interview I watched. Yeah, it's crazy. It's all over the place. But but the bottom line is, no matter how many seconds it is, it's it's fast. Yeah. And so if you can't grab their eyeballs immediately and, and have them go, wow, these folks understand my problem and they can help me solve it. They're the guide I'm looking for. They're not going to look any further. They're not going to look at anything else that's on the website. What's so your when view one,
2: using multimedia, though, at the, above the fold, just a 15-second stinger video on auto roll.
0: Not very high because, okay. people, because human beings are only programmed <laughs> to do two things. They're programmed to survive and to thrive. And they will only put so many calories into a search. The minute that you ask somebody to look at a video as opposed to eight or ten printed words, you're asking them to expend lots of calories. The likelihood of you doing the thing that we caution caution against in StoryBrand particularly is confusing them is much greater. The impact of a perfectly crafted sentence will always beat any kind of video, stinger, otherwise that you want to do. This goes to the point that, you know, Lee mentioned earlier, we're, we're out-sophisticating ourselves. Sometimes we overthink all of this stuff because we have all this wonderful technology, we want to use it. But at the end of the day, this is not, and we'll go back to the three depths of problem that the clients have. At the end of the day, this is not a sales problem. This is not a logic problem. This is an emotion problem. And that's That's where I wanted to go with that. Yeah, that's why exactly.
1: Because salespeople, you know, and and persuasion in general, not just sales, but, you know, we know that people don't buy on logic and and they buy on emotion and they justify with logic. So in telling the story, how can we bring out that emotion from the hero of the story, which is the client or prospect?
0: Well, and that's, you know, that's perfectly in keeping with people like Daniel Kahneman's research in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow. We think we make decisions with our prefrontal cortex with the reasoning part of our brain but we don't to your point you're exactly right we make decisions with that old lizard brain with with the amygdala and we have gotten very adept over the years at instantly justifying those decisions with our prefrontal cortex so the reason that we delve into and we spend a lot of time when we work with clients talking about the three levels of client need the external the internal and the philosophical is because the internal and the philosophical are where that emotional connection lie. And if you understand what the internal and emotional components of your clients' want are, of their need are, you can then craft a sentence that triggers the part that you the emotional part that you need. For example, um I'm well past 65, but if those of you who are listening either have parents or you're 65 yourself, you know that your mailbox instantly gets filled the minute you're three months away from turning 65 Mm -hmm. with 8492 pounds of junk mail that's incomprehensible to mere mortals and the reason it's incomprehensible to mere mortals is because it doesn't talk to what i'm concerned about as a senior what am i concerned about just to use this as an example i'm concerned about making the wrong choice and finding myself having to spend loads of money even though i've got medicare i've got a supplement or i've got a, a medicare you know advantage plan that's the concern. And yet so many people spend so much time on their website explaining what Medicare Part A and Part B and Part C and, and, the, and the drug plan are. Nobody cares. It goes back to what we said earlier. They don't care how the sausage is made. They just want the sausage that they want that solves their hunger. That makes sense.
1: You know, we've talked in in the past on this show about intrinsic needs and extrinsic needs, but you're the first person that's actually talked about philosophical needs. Talk to me more about that.
0: Sure. Um, You know, it's an extension of what you're talking about, but the philosophical need is deeper. The philosophical need is a, a broad social need, and it usually starts with, it shouldn't be so hard to, or a statement like that. That's the part that lives deep inside of somebody. So if... If we're out talking about whatever and I say to you, Lee, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is how I feel about such and such. I'm not really telling you the piece that's bothering me. I'm telling you the part that we tell our friends. If I say to you, Lee, my inner, my inner talk says that this is just a big social problem and it's philosophical and I shouldn't, with all the resources that are available, I shouldn't have to work so hard to solve the problem that I have. Then I'm giving you my inner talk and the inner talk is where that emotional link lies. And when we take people through the story brand framework, the initial portion of it, which exposes all seven of those components that I mentioned earlier, we tend to spend the most time trying to understand the client's needs at the emotional level, because if you can be clear and write a headline on a website or in a brochure or any other kind of marketing, that speaks to that internal need, you can trigger what you talked about earlier. You can trigger that old part of our brain and the instant recognition that this is the person that I want to help me do something about it. So it's deeper. It's it's being willing to take the time to think deeper about where your prospect is and what they're actually struggling with, as opposed to just what they say out loud. Because what they say out loud is just that. It's what they say out loud, but it's almost never. The real problem sometimes it's just a symptom of the real problem or a component of the real problem but it's almost never the real problem
1: sometimes it's it's what they say the problem is meaning their higher-ups corporate and everything like that then what they feel the problem is and then the philosophical aspect comes into it. at least that's been my experience how about you
0: absolutely well then that's thinking and feeling we we we, we want to appeal to the thinking part of them second We want to appeal to the feeling part of them first if we can grab them at the feeling part the the thinking part is easy but we we generally as as salespeople as professionals as any field where you're engaging with trying to engage someone else in commerce we tend to offer up all of the nuts and bolts and the machinery you know, the old saw is for, you know, for a while, I, I did some expert witness testimony. And the first thing they tell you is when somebody asks you what time, do you know what time it is? There's only one answer. Well, there's two answers. Yes or no. It's not, holy cow, it's 10 minutes to 10. It's not, here's how the watch works. It's yes or no. Story brand strips back the messaging to that very, very seminal central piece, because that's where you connect with the emotion. And if you can connect with the emotion... The rest is easy.
2: Am I guessing though, if I'm going into a sales prospecting call, I haven't met this C-suite or I've done all my homework. How am I guessing at the message points to time, pull the lever that gets an emotional reaction out of them? I could be wrong.
0: You could. <laughs> and so you ask questions. Okay. If you don't, if you, if your research doesn't end, you know, that's the blessing of research. Um, it, and all of the tools that we have available to us, you can find out loads of things about where they are, what they're doing, et cetera. On the web. But if you're not sure when you go in, ask a question and then shut up and just listen. Because ultimately, if you ask the right question and you do what salespeople have a difficult time doing, which is endure that awkward silence until somebody speaks and make sure it's your prospect, they'll tell you what the problem is. You just have to be able to listen critically and understand. And from there, it's easy for you to, after you've practiced this a couple of times, from there it's a lot easier to delve down into what the philosophical ask is or the secondary need is.
1: When do you think a, a story should arc uh, for salespeople when they're, telling, when they're telling a story than to a client or prospect?
0: I, I, for me, the arc is always in two places. It's the here's why I'm your guide and here's what the future can look like. Because the problem that someone has is they're not achieving the goal that they want to achieve. So I always try to arc it and build to the, and if we do this, here's what it'll look like down the road. And you want to paint that picture as clearly as you can and in as close alignment as you can with what the prospect has asked you to accomplish. So in, although we work in lots of fields, employee benefits is someplace that is something that you know a lot of folks deal with especially most of the people in your audience and there's only really two questions to ask which is one why do you have a plan of benefits and then after they tell you that you ask the second question which is how's that current plan of benefits meeting those expectations we out complicate ourselves we confuse and then we lose and i see that so often i've, I've been training salespeople since 1981. And I see that so often that we, we have all of this great information and all of these great solutions, and we want to just dump it on a client. But what the client sees when you do that is you don't care about my problem. You care about selling your solution. Now, it may very well be that before you drive into the driveway and park in the parking lot, you know what the problem is, but that's not how the game needs to be played. Not if you want to be the guy, prospect or client.
2: Mm-hmm. I would say that 90% of salespeople do it that way. And if you're the 10% that really blows their socks off and comes in with a whole different approach, they'll remember you. Even if they take some time to decide that you're the one.
0: Well, yeah, that's why 90% of salespeople have skinny kids.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know you talked about it in one of the interviews I watched. You said, yeah, when your kids don't eat because you didn't make a sale, you know what that
1: feels like.
0: The first 16 years of my career, I was straight commission sales, and then I went to the dark side and started working for some other folks. But How skinny uh, were you back then? um, (laughs) That's not a fair question. (laughs) Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, and so I won't ask you either.
1: Okay, <laughs> I've never been skinny, so there you go. No,
0: no, no. <laughs> well, but I don't he think he's a football player, so to his. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I, I'm just I'm just a recovering musician. So I I but I don't think I was ever skinny either. I can't remember the day when oh it was. My God, that's funny. But that's well, the problem. If you if you confuse, you lose, and that's that's a certainty, and that happens a hundred percent of the time. So basically, what we work with clients is helping them unconfuse.
2: So back on the marketing side, you guys got into a bit of a spirited conversation before we started rolling. I do want you to say in your, in your questionnaire that you answered for us, David, you said, remove clutter, unnecessary clutter from your messaging. And Lee piped up and said, yeah, but I, I don't want to give too much away to my comp set and too much away to my prospects, but I want to give them enough to rope them in. Where's the line between what's considered clutter and not clutter?
0: Anything that doesn't speak to your client's problem is clutter. Okay. I was talking go, to a prospect <laughs> a couple of months ago, and mm-hmm. um, he's a friend, so I could be a little, you know, me. And he said, well, you know, I know you don't have time to work with me right now, but if we were going to work together, where would you start? And I said, I'd start on your website. And he said, okay, what's wrong with my website? And I said, it's terrible. I said, well, okay, could you maybe tell me, like, which piece of it is terrible? I said, the whole thing. But I can't tell you which piece because I've never looked at your website. And he proceeded to rattle off, you know, what was on their home page. And I said, you should be really proud of that stuff. But your client doesn't care about any of that stuff because it doesn't speak to solving their problem. It talks about how great you guys are, what great service your team gives, how you've been in the business forever and a day and all of that kind of stuff that belongs in a corporate brochure. Mail it out a week before the appointment, mail a hard copy, snail mail, which nobody gets anymore with a note that says, hey, I want to focus on you during our meeting, but I thought you'd like to learn a little bit about us first. So get the origin story out of the way. <laughs> yeah, well, because you wouldn't be, I always take the position that I wouldn't be sitting in the room if the prospect didn't think that I had a chance of being able to help them.
1: Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. They've already researched so you for credibility right before they even called you. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And if they didn't, then they're probably not going to end up being a client anyway because they're going to end up being a one-year-in-a-cloud-of-dust kind of client. And that's not how any of us make money. We make money through relationships that endure over time.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, your website is thesaltzmangroup.com, and um, we've got about a minute left, David. Are you taking new clients? What's going on?
0: We are taking new clients. We're interested in helping lots of folks. If you go to thesaltzmangroup.com slash download, we've got a brand new piece called Eight Selling Story Secrets that you can download, Um, and it will give you information that you won't find in Don's book or pretty much any place else, but it sets the table for the kind of stuff that we do. We love taking people from A to B because it's such, in most cases, it's such a cataclysmic change. And we also sometimes work with their sales teams to help everybody be singing from the same hymnal. We StoryBrand starts with those seven pieces and then distills that those pieces down into a narrative and then distills it down one more time into what we call a one-liner. And the one-liner becomes the catechism for all of your marketing material. It's the touch point that everything springs from. And it's important that your entire team be using the same message. So, but we're definitely, Audrey, taking new clients and looking forward to helping lots of folks.
1: You're also a fractional CMO, which I find fascinating. Would we'll talk a little bit more about that?
0: Um, that started almost accidentally because I wasn't smart enough to know that in the first place, but I, <laughs> I, I, I got my first few clients and we went through the story brand process, which is a finite process. It has a beginning and an end. And I said, okay, our engagement is over. It's been great working with you. And they said, well, wait, wait, no, wait, wait, I need somebody who can write copy. I need somebody who can help me, help advise me and blah, blah. I said, well, you need a chief marketing officer. And the answer I frequently got was, you know how much that costs? And I said, well, yeah, I I do. And they said, we can't afford that. So we started talking about staying on for a certain number of hours a month. And we called it being a fractional CMO. They're fractional CFOs, that's not new. Mm -hmm. And fractional CEOs, that's less usual, but it does exist. And so we kind of, we didn't coin the term, but we adopted the term fractional CMO. And so we stay on and continue to advise clients if that's what their need is on an ongoing basis. And those are usually 12-month engagements, and they renew.
2: That's fantastic. Well, they can engage with you in that way if they'd like, right, David? So Absolutely. Anyway. We,
0: we, can, we, can do, we can start with a fractional CMO relationship from the beginning, which includes all of the base story brand stuff. That's our guidepost. Or we can start with that and then see where we go from there. As you both know, one of the nice parts about running your own shop is you make up the rules as you go along, but it's about meeting each client where they are. The same as StoryBrand. It's about finding out what each client needs and helping to deliver that. I wish I could say it was really complicated and there was some huge neurophysiology and sociology and all the other ologies involved, but it's really not. It's actually about reverting to being more straightforward, more simple, and more rudimentary.
2: Well, this has been great. I, I love the tips, and we appreciate you being on the show. It's, we've been looking forward to this for quite a mm-hmm. while, David, so thank you.
1: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com.